the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. We are fortunate to be alive at this moment in history. I can hear you. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. The truth is plain to see. If you want freedom, take pride in your country. If you want democracy, hold on to your sovereignty. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin of The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Very special show today. Visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for the daily email, the daily wink, which goes out into your goes into your inbox at 8 a.m. East Coast, 5 a.m. Pacific, every Monday through Friday. Sign up there, and uh, you won't regret it. Well, and, and before we get to the wink, let me just set something up for you. I want to encourage you um, to make sure to listen to the end of today's program. We call it segment four in our preparation. You know, the first segment is the wink. Second and third segment are interviews, usually something meaty. Segment four, you, we catch up on some things you got to know to do, things to do, action steps. And you've heard, I think two weeks ago, Ryan Height, my colleague, he was on the program talking about the importance of uh, Eagle Council. It's upcoming. Here's what I want to tell you. Our annual event for the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, the organization I work for, my sort of day job, is Annual Eagle Council, 52nd Annual Eagle Council. We go for quality over volume. Now, don't get me wrong. A couple of years ago, we had 1,200 people there. But our goal is not to be a cattle call of conservatives. It's to be a quality gathering where you learn and you network. I mean, a couple of years ago, we had 1,200 people. Rick Perry, the presidential candidate, dropped out of the race. We had Huckabee, Santorum, Ben Carson, Rand Paul, all that stuff. Uh, Trump came to uh, uh, right around Eagle Council to uh, Phyllis Schlafly's funeral. But what we mostly do is between 200 and 300 people are gathering. and They're the movers and the shakers. They're the doers. They're the people who make things happen. And you're going to want to be a part of that September 15th, 16th, and 17th in St. Louis in a few more minutes, I'm going to talk to you in more detail about that. Come on back. And before that, let's go back to our wink. Here's the topic. The topic is what's really happening, what's really happening behind the headlines, behind the curtain, behind the history books, what's really happening, what's actually happening. We have an extraordinary uh, guest in a few moments. We'll talk with Jack Cashel. Jack Cashel is, I, he's an academic. He's got a PhD and he's been a professor and taught in different things uh, over the years. He's also an author. He was a guy that was, uh, when I was a young lawyer, I, I, I'll probably remind him of this. I, I know he'll remember. That's how we met. But I was a young lawyer practicing uh, a clerking in Kansas City. And Jack Cashel lives there with his wife and daughters. 
He's got two daughters. I think that's right. I got to look at my notes. He references it in his book. Um, he's got a new book out called Untenable, Untenable. And it's about um, the uh, incredible uh, flight from the cities. And it's the true story of white ethnic flight from America cities. He's from Newark, Newark. He calls it Newark, Newark, New Jersey. And um, so I was I was working in the, in uh, Kansas City. I was new there, just lived there for a year and I met Jack Cashel. He kind of has he kind of has a reputation as a convener of uh people having conversations and thoughts. He has guests that are authors uh over the decades uh and since I've stayed in touch by email and otherwise. So he's got this new book Untenable from Post Hill Press. It's really good. It's a memoir about Newark, New Jersey um and about how Newark, New Jersey changed and why people left um, and it's really, really well done. He's a, he's a very good writer. But here's what I was going to tell you. Jack Cashel, who's got a number of other books. One is called The Hunt. Uh, one is called Unmasking Obama, The Fight to Tell the True Story of a Failed Presidency. Uh, another one is Barack Obama's Promised Land, Deplorables Need Not Apply. He, he has been uh, smeared over the years, smeared over the years, smeared years, by uh, people calling him a conspiracy theorist, in part because... Two things. One is he he took a hard look at Obama's writing, the famous memoir, Dreams of My Father. And um, Jack Cashel, who's a writer himself, said, I don't think so. I, I don't quite believe that that was written by Barack Obama. Who else helped him? And when he dug into that, he came away really as one of the early and definitive people who said um, this was done by uh, Bill Ayers. Um, who is a sort of radical professor type uh, from Chicago. And so very interesting. And, and that book got a lot of attention. They tried to smear him and say it was he was a um, he was a uh, conspiracy theorist, but it kind of held up. I mean, it didn't kind of hold up. It held up. And uh, he wrote a book on TWA uh, uh, flight one flight 800. Um, what happened with the crash? Uh, January, excuse me, July of 1996, that crash. Um, uh, he, he's anyway, he's a very interesting man who has written a bunch of different, to, uh, on a bunch of different topics with great clarity. Um, what's the matter with California is a book that's on my shelf right across from me. Uh, it's called cultural rumbles from the golden state and why the rest of us should be shaking. Uh, very interesting. Um, so anyway, he gets, he gets smeared by this. The people that say, Oh, yeah, only conspiracy theorists, except, Everything that we used to be told were conspiracy theorists are now happening. You know, we're told, oh, you know, what? what is, uh, you know, conspiracy, Russia, 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 conspiracy theorists, if you say it wasn't Russia, it turns out it wasn't Russia. Conspiracy theorists, if you say Joe Hunter Biden's laptop in Ukraine, except it turns out it was. Go down the list. It's extraordinary. Anyway, so we're going to talk with him uh, and we will have a chance to visit with him about uh, what's going on with his work and a whole lot more. Now, let me uh, let me tell you uh, uh, what, though, I don't I want to um, I want to uh, highlight as we talk with um, him about his book Untenable. I want to highlight a tweet that Corey DeAngelis put out. And I want to say these things didn't happen. Uh, flight from our cities, for example, without um, actions and without policy choices. So it seems obvious to a lot of people that when you defund the police, people are going to leave. Right. I, I mean, that seems obvious to people when you say defund the police, people are going to leave. And that, that's been going on. Right. If you look around, people are like, um, yeah, that's going to send me leaving. But that might be. 
among other things, that might be a fake because because people were looking for reasons to, to, to leave, I think, these cities. And one of the most glaring aspects of what has made our cities untenable is the school systems and who has been trapped in the school systems. And this is what uh, Corey DeAngelis's tweet highlighted. He, first of all, highlighted a, a he was retweeting a Randy Weingarten, who's the head of the American Federation of Teachers. So and she's talking about how, um, the, you know, American democracy is cracking, she says. And this explains why. And she's talking about how government fails. And he, Corey DeAngelis, tweets very uh, not too long, but a, a pretty lengthy tweet. He says campaign contributions from the American Federation of Teachers to Democrats. Starting in 94, 99.4% of all contributions are to Democrats by the teachers union. And by 2022, it's 99.97%. Meaning this, meaning this uh, is one of the entities, massive amounts of money that has trapped our cities in a cycle of schools that are broken. You cannot say that the schools in the cities are working, period. No one can say it. Uh, it, It's just not possible. It's not working. And who is it not working for? African-Americans and low-income families. And so when when uh, um, uh, Randy Weingarten says, oh, democracy is not working, it's not correct, what what, uh, Corey DeAngelis might have said is you're right because you're subverting it, your contributions. And here's where it gets really tragic. Our governments have helped fund the teachers unions, the bailouts during COVID were massive for the teachers unions to manage that money and to can grow themselves. And so as government has grown, the Democrats who said they were for the minority community, who said they're for the black community, a large majority of black people vote for the Democrats. And yet and yet the system is trapping them. And so when you say untenable, what are the things that could make it unten- make it make it tenable to be in the cities? One of them would be pay for the cops, pay for the prosecutors. Don't make prosecutions selective based on race or based on uh, politics, which is what's happening in cities like Washington, D.C. and San Francisco. You know, go back to what they did in New York uh, under uh, Rudy Giuliani and Bloomberg and, you know, enforce the laws, make things that they call they call them quality of life crimes. But even more substantially, fix the school systems that are trapping generation after generation of low-income folks who generally are black and brown in systems that are broken. It's outrageous. It's an outrageous thing. And so when you look at this book, Untenable, and one of the things that's powerful about Jack Cashel's book is he's talking about his experience. His father, I think it's it's his father who was a detective in Newark. His family was from there. He talks about his mother who at the end of her life is uh, is dying and she's she's sick and she leaves Newark finally because she's sick. But she hadn't she hadn't left. She refused to leave till then. She was staying. But more and more people that are leaving the cities. And one of the aspects that is a, a, a factor in making them untenable, the more, I'd say the major one, is education, an education system that's failed and failed repeatedly for decade after decade, failed generation after generation. 
It's extraordinary. All right. That's what you need to know today. We will get back and we'll talk with uh, Jack Cashel in a few moments. Jack Cashel, again, is uh, the author of Untenable, a new book from Post Hill Press. And we will take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest, it's a great uh, privilege for me. It's kind of a uh, backhanded thrill. I was talking him off the air. Jack Cashel is an author. Uh, he won't remember. Maybe he will. Nah, maybe he will. When I was a kid lawyer, I clerked for a year in Kansas City, and I first crossed paths with Jack Cashel, who was then hosting kind of get-togethers of people who were trying to think things through and talk about them. He a prolific author uh, and as in the early days a blogger. He's written a new book, which uh, hit home for me. It's from our friends at uh, Post Hill Press, Anthony Zaccardi and the gang, and this one is called Unt. Tenable, and it's the true story of white ethnic flight from America's cities. And I was, again, reminding him off the air. I don't know if I had ever told him that my own family was from Elizabeth, my father's family, and Roselle, which is near uh, Newark. And uh, this is a story of his Jack Cashel as uh, uh, his family were from Newark. So welcome, Jack. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, Ed. And it's uh, Newark, by the way, one syllable. I know. I know. That's mine's right. Mine's <laughs> with cork or pork. Uh, yeah. North. And uh, yeah, I, I had the uh, the somewhat uh, I won't say pleasure, but the um, actually the I was well positioned. I, I grew up right in the middle of the most uh, of the poster child for urban dysfunction, North New Jersey, while the city was collapsing, while my neighborhood was collapsing around me. So I was in a unique position to see this, and and then I went back, uh, you know, some years later. And I worked for the Newark Housing Authority. And so I have seen urban uh, disarray uh, up close and probably with more uh, a, a better, you know, objective viewpoint than anyone I know. And finally, I said, I need to write about this. I've sat on this for, you know, for however many years. And I wanted to vindicate those people who were who left Newark under and other cities. I talk about other cities as well yeah. across the Northeast, North Central United States, because uh, our experiences were so similar. Doesn't matter whether you're Chicago, Detroit, Cleveland, Baltimore, Philadelphia, uh, you, the experiences were almost identical. Uh, mounting pressure, mounting crime, crumbling schools. And finally, you say enough is enough. You move and then you're shamed for leaving. Yeah, yeah, by, yeah. Yeah. By people who left before you did. Uh, uh, we're, we're talking with Jack uh, Cashel again. Uh, by the way, Jack, is it is Cashel.com the website for you to go to? You see all your stuff. Is that the place to go? Yes, that's, that's okay. Right. Thanks for bringing that up. C-A-S-H-I-L-L.com. Um, I mentioned that because uh, the one of the books, uh, Jack, that was I think one of your more important uh, efforts was the Deconstructing Obama, which was 2011, I think, which was one of the earlier right. early um earliest, I don't know if it was earliest, but it was one of the early ones that credibly pieced together the role of Bill Ayers uh, and and Barack Obama's uh, autobiography, so-called um, Dreams of uh, Dreams for My Father and other aspects of it. Um, Jack, pausing on that for a second uh, and relating it to, to your book, Untenable, which is out right now. Everybody calls everybody names that says something that they think they want to discredit. So it was a conspiracy theory that Bill Ayers was involved in the writing of that book. Now we know that every time they say something's a conspiracy theory, 
it's generally true. I mean, Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. I mean, right, you pick. Right. And, and so when you look back on this career of yours, because you got an, a bunch of grief too. you wrote a book about uh, TWA 800, the crash to cover up the conspiracy. And, and people gave you grief on that. You look at it now. I mean, I, I, I RFK Jr. has basically credibly laid out what he knows about his father's murder and his uncle's murder. And we're no longer saying, oh, yeah, well, you're a conspiracy theorist if you think the Warren Commission lied, for example. I, I mean, yeah. at this point, Jack, it's almost like, is anything we're told true? <laughs> well, I'm I'm sticking to the moon landing being real. You know? <laughs> okay, all right, good. We got that on record. Uh, and I believe, I, you know, I, I, I've been called a conspiracy theorist a lot. You go to my Wikipedia page, by the way, don't. Which are manipulated by <laughs> right, online trolls too. Right. I I don't mind being called a conspiracy theorist. For a while, they had me as a pornographer, which I had to object to. Um, no, uh, conspiracy theorist is a, the word we use today for the word we would have used a generation ago. Investigative reporter. Right. In other words, the corporate media is bought and paid for, and it's I've been left to what I call the the American Samizdat, which is a homage to the Russian Samis dot the during right. Soviet years, where virtually all the real publishing and all the real truth was being circulated underground, including Solzhenitsyn's uh, Gulag Archipelago. No, and it's um, but what's what what has happened though, and what those two projects have in common, deconstructing Obama, and untenable, is that for sixty years, we've had to live with a lie, right? And the lie is essentially that systemic racism is what has kept uh, the black community uh, in its current state, which is not good at all. And anytime you you challenge that lie, as Barack Obama did himself on Father's Day in 2008, when he stood up at the church in Chicago and said, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we have to admit that the real problem in our community is fatherlessness. Too many men acting like boys, abandoning their families. And then he went through the litany of consequences, you know, 10 times more likely fatherless boys are 10 times more likely to drop out of school, 15 times more likely to commit crime, et cetera. And three weeks later on a hot mic, Jesse Jackson was overheard saying, Barack Obama talking down to black people, I want to cut his nuts out. And he made a slicing motion with his hand. And that subject was dropped uh, by Obama and hasn't been raised by anyone else since. Fear shapes the American newsrooms on the subject of race. And so great injustices are allowed to happen uh, to preserve that narrative that uh, the systemic racism is the problem, not the failure of individuals or the creation of government programs that encourage dependency. So untenable and untenable, I tackle all those problems through uh, a memoir forms, which makes it, I think, much more readable than just listing problems and solutions and that sort of thing. Uh, Untenable, the true story of white ethnic flight from America's cities by Jack Cashel out from Post Hill Press. Uh, Jack, before uh, briefly, I know, but tell our listeners, it's dedicated to Newark, 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 uh, police detective William F. Cashel, your father, right? Yes, right. And he was in many ways the center of the story because uh, his demise was uh, sort of tracked with that of the city around us. You know, it's a victim of uh, the utter corruption of the city, the uh, relentless indifference to the lives of the people who live there by government agencies, and uh, you know just the the uh, collapse of the, the the whole morale of of a of what had been. You know, when I was a kid, 
a totally vibrant, happy, you know, functional neighborhood. But within 10, 15 years, it had become untenable. Um, Jack Cashel uh, is our guest, the author of Cashel.com. I'll put up on social media. Jack, um, whose fault is it? I mean, if you have to say, like, nobody wanted uh, communities to fall apart. I mean, I, well, maybe that's not true. Some people maybe did. They, they, they think in crisis they can manage their, their increase their influence and all. But so, I mean, is there, is there, uh, you know, one of the chapters is willful blindness. I mean, some people just, as you say, they're afraid to have any blowback. So it's easier just to be sort of blind to it. But who, who's, who's to blame? And, and I guess, you know, late Phil Schlafly, my boss used to say, okay, we got it all. You know, how do we go forward? You know, I would say, and I used the phrase once in, in Newark, it was particularly uh, relevant, uh, dreamers and schemers. You know, they came together in this unholy alliance. The dreamers really thought they were doing well. They thought to level a slum, like, say, Newark's Little Italy, and build some massive housing project was a good thing. Meanwhile, the schemers, the gangsters, and the politicians who who and are in bed with the gangsters are forming demolition companies, you know, right. and construction companies, right. and they're raking off the profits. So what you see, uh, I think, throughout uh, the, uh, especially in the 1960s, when so much of this madness became institutionalized, like through the Great Society, Lyndon Johnson's Great Society, you had dreamers wanting to do good things, making terrible decisions, and schemers indifferent to the uh, outcome. And then there was a diabolical percentage who wanted disorder, who wanted chaos, uh, who wanted to see things collapse so they could build a new, you know, uh, utopia in its stead. People like Tom Hayden, for instance, who spent years in Newark uh, revolutionizing, you know, uh, inspiring the young black people to revolution. This was the wife of, of, I should say wife, husband, actually, of Jane Fonda. (laughs) Jane Fonda, yeah. Uh, and uh, he was one of many radicals who came, descended on these cities with the sole purpose of creating chaos yeah. and creating the groundwork for a potential uh, communist revolution. Uh, Jack Cashel is our guest. Jack, I'm going to take a break and I'll come back and keep going because I want to talk more. It's uh, Jack Cashel. Again, his book is out, Post Hill Press, Untenable. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Welcome back, everybody. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, continuing my conversation with Jack Cashel. I couldn't resist, Jack, holding you over because I have so many more questions to ask. I asked you that one at the end of our uh, previous segment, and I got the answer, but I want to—I do this a lot. I asked a second question in my run-up. What do we do now? I mean, you know, if it's true that the, the cities have collapsed, and we're kind of seeing it's kind of—it's um, it's accelerated. It's not accelerated. It's into this sort of post-collapse uh um, you know, destruction at this point. You pick a major urban city, the leadership there, whether it's um, the dreamers or schemers, at this point, it's just, uh, it's kind of the, um, the managers of destruction. But what's next? I mean, I, you know, I, I noticed um, a lengthy piece on social media. Someone forwarded me a video of, uh, I forget what nation it was, Latin America, I think Latin America. They built a whole new city and they started from scratch and they had all these kinds of things. And it was, and they, it, it felt like it was more market oriented. But I thought, are we going to try to build new cities? I mean, what happens next, Jack? That's a good question. You know, the superficial solution is to do what New York City did in 1993, right? Just end up with uh, 2,500 annual homicides. Uh, they, uh, you know, they put aside their ideology. Citizens did and elected a Republican mayor, Rudy Giuliani. 
uh, he was followed by another quasi-Republican, uh, uh, Bloom, right? Right. Uh, Bloomberg, I'm sorry, Michael Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. And after 25, 20 years of Giuliani Bloomberg experiment, New York City had reduced its homicides from 2,500 a year to less than 500 a year. That's 2,000 lives a year saved. Uh, almost all of them people of color. That's a superficial, that's a superficial uh, fix. And cities are going to be turning to that. They're, they're beginning to shed their George Soros uh, elected DAs, and they can't live with that. They're killing. How can you kill San Francisco? How can right. you kill New York? Uh, and they're doing it. Uh, this, the deeper solution, though, is to address uh, family dysfunction. And that's long term. And that will take a major rethinking. Because if you if you address it as a family issue, you know, right now, two thirds of black kids are growing up without a father and a home. That's a sure recipe for utter total chaos. And that's what we're seeing in the streets. Um, it would take a, a huge psychological turnaround and people have to sign on to it before we start. But by doing that, you deny the uh, race hustlers, black and white, the uh, systemic racism label that they impose on every uh, every functional problem in the black community. Everything's systemic racism now. I mean, it's it's gotten ridiculous. It's got so much worse yeah. in the last few years post-George Floyd. It's infected law. It's infected medicine. It's infected, uh, you know, certainly uh, public education. University education was a lost cause generation ago. Uh, well, but well, so, Jack, Jack, let me pause. I, I, have two, I have two questions I need to cover. I've got like six or seven minutes. So on that yeah. one is one is the, the, what you just said right there. But but can you can we recover that if the cities are untenable? So is higher education based on, you know, this this uh, racial division. I, and I'm not sure you can reverse it. You just got to sort of walk away from it. I, I mean, we're now seeing like in, in England again, Nigel Farage is leading the way on fighting against woke banking. And his argument is don't. Don't be woke banking, you know, with all these things. If you're not going to make money, your job is to make money. I mean, I, I, I it, there's a point here where is the whole shooting match untenable? Uh, that's an excellent question. And is if you are inclined towards pessimism, uh, society is rewarding you now. You know, it's giving right. you lots of fuel for your fire. I, I refuse to give up. I, I like to believe that. Well, you know, I keep, keep seeing positive examples. Florida beginning to take back its universities, for instance. Um, right. The the wokeness of public schools is making, uh, you know, uh, vouchers and, you know, that sort of uh, voluntary education much more viable than it might have been otherwise. Um, so when things get particularly bad, they have a chance of, of flipping. Right. But how much badness can we take before things collapse? We're not that far away from. I hate to say a total societal breakdown. I mean, if all right, see- all right. so, so let me, so let me, let me slide to this in the book. We're talking with Jack Cashel. Cashel.com is his website. C-A-C-A-S-H-I-L-L.com. But also it's a post till press book untenable. The last chapter of the book epiphany. And you're talking about a long time ago now, Jack, it's 1993. Yeah. You and your wife, Joan, two daughters, eight years old, 13 years old. You go over to Ireland. Your wife's got a, some sort of fellowship is a Fulbright or something. And, yeah, right. and so you're living in Galway and and you're and for a year, I assume, or either a semester or a year. Yes. But um, and 
you're you're watching people live a simpler life. This is long before the Benedict option by what's his name, which I don't really like. I don't really believe it. Um, but uh, Dreher, what, Rod, Rod Dreher, right? Yeah, yeah, Dreher. Yeah, is that is is that the is that the model? Get yourself to your little community and retool it and have a simpler life. I mean, it might be. I'm not saying it's not. It, it, there's times in history, but you know, as long as I have uh, broadband internet, I think I don't know. <laughs> you know, it, that's become more viable an option now because of the Internet. Right. Uh, and right right now, uh, Ed, we're, we're witnessing what I call white fly 2.0. Right. The major woke cities in particular, not not Tampa, not Dallas. We're talking Los Angeles, San Francisco, Washington, Chicago, uh, New York are hemorrhaging hundreds of thousands of people. And this is not, you know, it was not the the blue collar people who fled in the sixties and were shamed by their betters for fleeing. But these are the pundits themselves, the ones who write the op-eds, the ones who wear skinny jeans and carry their laptops around the, the local Starbucks. They're the ones who are leaving. Uh, and they give excuses because they're not like those other, you know, Archie Bunker types, but um, boy, it's, I, there's so much money though invested in cities like, New York and San Francisco, I can't believe that the powers that be will give up on them. It's um, well, I, 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 that's probably right. But it's uh, again, if you're sane, I mean, here's the problem, Jack. If you're sane, you look at it and say, um, I don't want to raise kids in that place. I'm not going to have my kids and my stroller dodging excrement on the streets of San Francisco. So you've got one or two choices. You've got to go somewhere else or you don't have kids. A whole bunch of people are having dogs instead of kids. And it's yeah. a different problem, right, in terms of the culture. Uh, and then one last thing to say out loud, Jack, and I know I can say this. Jack, where Our guest is Jack Cashel. His book is untenable. And I know him well enough uh, to be able to say this. But all you people are aging forever. You're going to live forever. And so we're going to have this incredible gray tsunami facing our communities where people are going to live into their 90s. And how we have community built around them is a real uh, question mark. Used to have the density of the urban would be a way for you to manage some of that. I don't know. I don't know what happens. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Uh, The baby boomers now are at least 60 years old. you know, we always thought of ourselves as teenagers. We still kind of do, but right. the the uh, the demographics uh, in the United States are not encouraging either. They're better than they are in a, in, a, in Western Europe, right? That's true. And, and if nothing else, it's going to sound like a a you know a, a silver lining on a very dark cloud. Our immigrants come from the Western world. They come from Western tradition. You know, they right. tend to be Christian. Um, that makes a big difference. Right. They are not uh, forever going to be alienated from the culture. I mean, you know, obviously we're doing a terrible job with immigration, but uh, it's not that's not a cause for uh, despair. What's a cause for despair, as you suggested, is smart people not having any children at all. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Jack Cashel, again, Cashel.com. I'll put up on social media. The book is Untenable uh, by uh, from our friends at Post Hill. The true story of white ethnic flight from America's cities, as uh, Jack alluded to, it's kind of a, well, it is a memoir, but it's talking about a specific set of issues and what we've seen in the last uh, four or five, six decades and what that can mean. So uh, thanks for being out there with this, Jack. As always, it's great to connect, and we'll look forward to talking to you again. Ed, thanks a lot for having me on, and I appreciate the opportunity to to talk about uh, these things 
with yeah, your audience. It's, yeah, it's important. It's important. So uh, I will put up on social media links there. Uh, really, really interesting. For, I, for, as I mentioned, I have a, a, a family connection to the area where Jack's uh, writing about, which makes a big difference in terms of I can picture uh, streets in Newark. I can picture communities and all. Uh, but it's happening across the country. It's everywhere. And so it's uh, amazing, uh, amazing issue, set of issues that are coming together. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. Be right back. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the daily email there and you'll get links like uh, a link to this segment and a link to Jack's book. So uh, again, Jack Cashel, the book is untenable. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Few Americans would base their vote for president on where President Donald Trump stored boxes of documents related to his presidency when he moved out of his residence at the White House. Many public officials take copies of documents with them when they leave office, just as Vice President Joe Biden did when he left the White House in 2017. Biden hasn't been charged with anything, by the way. But many federal workers in D.C. are too virulently anti-Trump to allow the democratic process to work without interference by fanatical federal prosecutors who have indicted Trump over documents. The timing of this federal indictment to be less than one week after suspension of the debt ceiling, which keeps the money flowing to these federal prosecutors, seems to be more than a coincidence. The GOP majority in the House does not have to allow taxpayer millions to be spent on biased investigators taking pictures of boxes of obscure documents stored in an unused bathroom. Donald Trump has built successful companies and skyscrapers, employed thousands and defeated the idol of most federal workers, Hillary Clinton. Then Trump committed unforgivable sins in the eyes of the feds by firing their FBI director, James Comey and by pardoning the victims of the Department of Justice political prosecutions. The January 6th protests were, on top of all that, a thorough humiliation of the deep state in D.C., for which it has been retaliating ever since. All Trump did on that day was to give a speech while serving as president, and it's very difficult to convert a presidential address into some kind of crime. Without a doubt, the deep state has a great deal of reason to despise Donald Trump, but none of that excuses their intentional attempt to silence the people's voice in the upcoming presidential election. Political indictments like this are unprecedented in America. Voters should be able to focus on the issues that they care about without being slammed with wall-to-wall coverage of a phony scandal. Soon, the voters will get another lesson in how Donald Trump thrives when backed into a corner. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. These culturally relevant commentaries, along with videos, columns, and bulletins, are waiting for you at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Plus, find, follow, and share our news and views on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Parler, Gab, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, I previewed earlier in the Pro-America Report my reasons, part of my reasons for you to come 
and be a part of Eagle Council in St. Louis on September 15th, 16th, and 17th this year, just a month or so from now. And I want to go through that a little bit more. Every year for the past 52 years, it's actually been a little bit more than that because there was at least one year where we could not have the event. Uh, Phyllis Schlafly hosted Eagle Council and Eagle Council was a gathering of what she called her Eagles, uh, what we call uh, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles today. It's a group of people. It's it's a little loosely defined. It's not um, only sort of membership like uh, pay $20 and you're Phyllis Schlafly Eagle. It's kind of being affiliated with Phyllis Schlafly's work, which is broadly described as pro-family, pro-life. Uh, certainly pro-America, pro-America report, but also America first. She used that phrase quite a bit. Um, Phyllis Schlafly was someone who had a great vision for how America's specialness came about, um, founded in the Constitution and the rule of law and the founding values and things like uh, patent law, uh, property rights around inventions and things. She described uh, marvelously in some of her writings about how powerful that was. She had this great vision of the Constitution being extraordinarily powerful at knitting us together and having protections for our system, all these things. She was a great woman of faith. So she believed that our Judeo-Christian values at the founding and our Christian values uh, fundamentally informed how we lived, and it made a big difference. So our gatherings are not the cattle call gatherings. If you go to CPAC, you've probably seen the pictures. If you've attended, they sometimes have 4,000, 5,000 people. They'll have a room that'll have a, a 5,000, 2,500 people watching the big speeches. Um, they'll have dozens and dozens of, uh, of, of, um, uh, tables and, and booths and all. It's really like a trade show. And now Turning Point USA, Charlie Kirk's group, they do similar things where just huge crowds. They're, now they're not, I'm not describing them as not without value. I think they all have their own value. They fit a certain niche, um, depending on, you know, the, the Koch brothers used to have big events and they tended to be more sort of globalist and libertarian leaning and different kinds of things. You can go to some incredibly powerful, large gatherings of pro-lifers, uh, some of the pro-life conventions, the uh, March for Life in, um, in D.C. now has sort of conventions wrapping around it. They're very powerful. What Eagle Council is, is a kind of gathering of doers, of people who are already in the fray. They've decided to make a difference in the community they're in. Sometimes they're volunteers at the grassroots level. Sometimes they're elected officials. Sometimes their issue is pro-life or pro-family. Sometimes the issue is education or transparency. Um, it's, It's a different kind of gathering. We have had... 1,200 people for the presidential candidates in 2015. That was a huge, almost a, uh, our biggest event that I've been a part of. But other times we'll have 150 at a meal. But the, what's happening at the meal and what's happening in the rooms is of a quality of, in two ways. One, you got a lot of wise people. You got a lot of people, uh, you know, sometimes some these days we're missing some of our greats. Kitty Worthman, who passed away in the last year and a half, I guess it was. She was um, extraordinary. But so are people like Marilyn Shannon. She's the chairman of the board of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Tamara Scott, Noreen McCann, um, all these different folks, our own staff. So experienced. They the quality of the people and the experience level is off the charts. So what do you get? You get the networking opportunity that can amplify your uh, skill set and your 
Um, uh, it can amplify what you're doing by giving you more um, strength and resolve and, uh, and experience. So, for example, uh, Woody Woodrum out in California, one of our great leaders, he's been coming, he and his wife Donna, for years. And when it comes to the fight in California for the platform committee, for example, which is going on right now, Woody's a guy I can call and say, hey, Woody, who, who's who? What's what? Where are the, the key players? You know, where's the traps here? And that kind of thing. So you get two things. You get quality people, which is valuable for wisdom, and then you get real good education. Education on the key issues. This year, we're going to have a, a speaker on immigration who you've heard on the program, Todd Bensman. He's on the front lines all the time. If you want to understand the issues and you want to amplify your positions, which I hope is to secure the border and, and get our country under control, you want Bensman in your camp. You want him in your hip pocket. This got so, we got so good at this that there was a moment where in the European Parliament, one member of the European Parliament, Dominic Tarzinski from Poland, was speaking to a policymaker from Germany. And both guys, Dominic and this German, had been to our Eagle Council. We've had the Hungarians there, Hungarians there speaking about how they use the law to protect and promote the family, the tax code and otherwise. People that say, oh, law's got to be neutral to the family. Neutral to the family is, is not neutral. It's a policy decision. And so you've got to decide what you're going to protect and incentivize. Anyway, so all these networking opportunities, and here's why it's so important. In the next couple of years, on the issue of life, because Roe v. Wade is gone, and now we have a brave, new, wide-open landscape, on the issue of immigration and the future of our country based on what we've had in this invasion, on the future of education because of how we've seen what COVID did, we have sort of wide-open fields where a lot of leadership is needed and you've got to get wise and connected, wise and connected, not just connected, not just loud, not just encouraged, get wise and connected. Eagle council, Eagle council is where you want to come September 15th, 16th and 17th in St. Louis. You can come in. It's uh, right at the airport Marriott. It works. For, it's really easy to come in. It's really easy to be a part of it. If you go to Eagle council, com eaglecouncil.com. You can go there and find out all the details and sign up. eaglecouncil.com. You're going to want to be a part of it. we got some big announcements of speakers that are coming in the next couple of days. So there you have it. As always, thank you to Noah Dingley, Ryan Height, Mason Mohan, and we'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. 
Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.